0: I know I can't speak for God today as to how His heart responds every time the video is replayed around this world. But I've got to tell you, when that's your homeland... They are your people. I know how this heart feels. Born in Tokyo. The first 14 years of my life spent in the land of the rising sun. Jabbering the language of my Japanese playmates. Dressed up in our Light blue matching jacket and shorts uniform for Japanese kindergarten. The only American kid in the class. And so, with that extra height and weight, you look like a perennial kindergarten dropout repeat student. When your classmates and your playmates and your neighbors whose hair is black and whose eyes are brown when they take you into their hearts and their homes even though your eyes are blue I tell you what when that is your homeland and they are your people you can't help shed the tears as those images keep streaming out of that disaster-ravaged land. I need to tell you, they are the most gracious and gentle people on earth. I have traveled all over this world, and I know whereof I speak. I mean, the world has been watching. Have you noticed this? The world has been watching with absolute astonishment as the survivors crowded into those elementary school gymnasiums as they queue up in these long lines for the last drop of gas left and for food and no rioting, no looting, no even cutting into line. They are a gentle and polite, almost to a fault, people. Cleanly, fastidious, industrious, loyal, so brave, and usually so reserved in any public expression of emotion. But for these last two weeks, as the world's cameras have gaped into their broken hearts, I've been astounded with the inconsolable public grief that is taking place in that land. There are two pictures that have tugged at my heart, and I want to share them with you. I spent spring break with my mom out in Banning, California, and on the cover of her newspaper, this picture, Put it on the screen for you. That's Yoshie Murakami. She lives in the tsunami-hit city of rikuzen Takata. In this picture, you can see her crying, can't you? You can see her crying in anguish as she holds the hand of her dead mother after her body was found in the rubble. That's what's happening right there. It took them five days to find their house, and her mother's body. And now Yoshia-san is praying that her missing 23-year-old daughter will be found alive. Such inconsolable public grief. Hey, it. I've seen Japanese women cry in church and public. Not a surprise to me. But a Japanese man to cry... So the grief is almost palpable in this photo that hit the wire services on the screen for you now. That's a picture of Yoshikatsu Hiratsuka. He lives in Onagawa in northern Japan. He's grieving in front of the wreckage of the home where somewhere inside his mother is buried. And he's saying, the English caption reads, he is saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. In Japanese, he was saying, gomenasai gomenasai, apologizing to his deceased mother for not getting there in time to help her from the tsunami. When that's your homeland, and those are your people, you can't help but cry with them, can you? But then again, maybe they are your people too. Earthquake. God's seismic love for our broken world, a brand-new spring series that begins right now around this table and this truth. He died of a broken heart so that we might live with one. That's the truth. I want to go to the death of Jesus in the Gospels. Take your Bible out, please. Let's go to Matthew's account because Matthew Matthew includes in the Calvary narrative an exclusive a detail no other gospel writer captures. Only Matthew captures it. I want you to see that exclusive. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Matthew. If you didn't bring a Bible, you've got to see it, please. Matthew 27. Oh, grab the pew Bible in front of you. It'll be page 671 in your pew Bible. Matthew chapter 27. Take a look at this. The story of Calvary. As we go to the cross, the beginning of a new season and a new voyage together. Matthew 20, 27, let's pick it up in verse 32. Now, as they came out, that would be the Romans. That would be the rabble. That would be the howling masses with the prisoner carrying his patibulum. Remember the last time we were together carrying his patibulum? Just the crossbeam they carried, not the whole cross, but he couldn't even carry the crossbeam. He stumbles, and the Roman guards realize he'll never make it to the execution. And so it says here in Matthew Twenty-seven, thirty-two. they found a man of Cyrene. Boy, talking about twin headlines we're living through right now. There it is, Libya, northern Africa. He's, he's a North African. They saw him standing in the crowd. Obviously, some sort of sympathetic gesture. You! And he's grabbed. They found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Verse 33, and when they'd come to a place called Golgotha, which is to say place of a Of a skull. They gave him Jesus sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink the wine. Not even socially would he drink the wine. Verse 35 Then they crucified him and divided his garments, casting lots that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Verse 36, even as we are now sitting down, they kept watch over him there. And they put over his head the accusation written against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and another on the left, dropped down to 45. Now, from the sixth hour, that would be noon... Now, from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, three o'clock in the afternoon, there was darkness over all the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Hit the pause button right there. We haven't come to Matthew's exclusive yet, but you need to note that Matthew makes sure we understand there are two death cries, two death cries in the Calvary narrative. Both are introduced by Matthew with the Greek phrase, megalephone, from whence comes our English word, megaphone. Loud. Death cry, loud cry number one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Loud cry number two, nothing. Nameless, wordless. What's going on here in that second death cry? Obviously, it precipitates his immediate death, the second death cry. What's going on? So I go to Google to find out. I type into Google, Can you die of a broken heart? Google sent me to the Washington Post and a piece that appeared there, and I want to read it to you, just a line or two. The idea that someone can die from a broken heart has long been the subject of folklore, soap operas, and literature. Researchers have known that stress can trigger heart attacks in people prone to them, and a syndrome resembling a heart attack in otherwise healthy people after acute emotional stress has been reported in Japan. But very little was known about the phenomenon in this country, and no one had any idea how it happened. And so now, quoting Island... Whitstein of the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine in Baltimore, when you think about people who have died of a broken heart, there are probably several ways that can happen, he said. His findings appear in the New England Journal of Medicine. He went on, a broken heart can kill you, and this may be one way. A traumatic breakup. Remember that in the springtime. The death of a loved one or even the shock of a surprising party can unleash a flood of stress hormones that can stun the heart, causing sudden life-threatening heart spasms in otherwise healthy people, researchers have reported. Now, listen to this. The new insight is perhaps the most striking example of the link between the mind and the body. Quoting now Herbert Benson, mind-body researcher, Harvard Medical School. This is another in a long line of accumulating well-documented effects of stress on the body, he said. Stress must be reviewed, he went on, as a disease-causing entity. Two more lines. Listen to this. Acutely diagnosing, no, accurately rather, diagnosing the phenomenon known technically as stress cardiomyopathy should help improve treatment for patients who might otherwise receive drugs or other therapies that they don't need because they haven't had a heart attack. Now, last line. Back to quoting uh, Wittstein again. Our hypothesis is that massive amounts of these stress hormones go right to the heart, producing a stunning of the heart muscle that causes this temporary dysfunction resembling a heart attack. It doesn't kill the heart, he said. It doesn't kill the heart muscle like a typical heart attack, but it renders it helpless. The second death cry. Could it be Jesus died of a broken heart? Let's read it again, verse 50. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice, and yielded up his spirit. The New Revised Standard reads, breathe his last. That would be the accurate rendering of that phrase. Loud voice, last breath, dead. A century ago, Ellen White, reflecting on verse 50, wrote these words. I'll put it on the screen for you. Take a look at this. There was a shriek, shrill and agonizing, and the Son of God expired. I want you to hit the pause button just for a moment. Please note, there was a shriek. See, the way we picture the cross, there's a quiet amen. Into your hands I commit my spirit. It is finished. We always picture that quiet, reverent. There was a shriek, shrill and agonizing, and the Son of God expired. He died of a broken heart. Isn't that amazing? Thank you, New England Journal of Medicine. Desire of Ages confirms what she wrote there. Put the Desire of Ages on the screen. But it was, not, it was not the spear thrust. It was not the pain of the cross that caused the death of Jesus. That cry uttered with a loud voice, quoting verse 50 here, at the moment of death, the, stream, the subsequent stream of blood and water, when, they, when the centurion jammed that lance through his ribs, the stream of blood and water that followed from his side declared that he died of a broken heart. His heart was broken by mental anguish. He was slain by the sin of the world. Did you get that? He died of a broken heart, broken by mental anguish. Precisely what the New England Journal of Medicine was saying could happen: sudden stress, mental anguish, and the heart muscle spasms and stops, and you die of a broken. It's broke, a broken heart. And what was that last line? slain by the sin of the world. Hey, listen, let's not, let's, let's not make this out there. Let's make it more personal. Let's put that sentence back up. We'll, we'll put a blank there, and you can fill your own name in. Jesus was slain by the sin of Dwight Nelson. Go ahead and put your name up there. I'm not going to be the only sinner here today. <laughs> you put your name in that sentence. Jesus was slain by the sin of... Say your name. yeah. Slain by Dwight's sin, and by the way, do you notice it's singular? Sin. That's the way the Bible treats it. When John the Baptist points at Jesus, John one twenty nine, he says, "Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin singular of the world." The great messianic prophecy, Isaiah fifty three, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity singular of us all. Paul talks about it. We sang it just a moment ago with the worship team. Second Corinthians chapter five twenty nine, and God made him who knew no sin to be sin singulars, sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Singular. So here's the question, ladies and gentlemen: What singular sin do you have? What singular sin do I have that we shall bring to the cross today? What is it I'm supposed to bring to Jesus this spring Sabbath? What sin? shall I lay at the foot of my, of my Lord the sin that took his life. What is that sin? I wonder out loud with you, could it be the sin, our greatest sin, is a heart that isn't broken? He dies of a broken heart for a lost world. I live without a broken heart in a lost world. Could that be my greatest sin? No broken heart. Who cares? Just another tragedy somewhere on this planet. God bless them. Let's go. Could that be my greatest sin? To live without a broken heart? Say, what do you mean? Do I live with a broken heart? I ordered a book from Amazon.com just before spring break so I could begin reading it, written by a Canadian theologian who suddenly died this last summer. His name, Clark Pinnock, Title of the book, A Wideness in God's Mercy. In the book, Pinnock is exploring the, the God of holy scriptures and how does he relate to pagan religions today? That's a conversation you and I can have at another time. But along the way, he makes this statement. I want to put, want to put uh, Pinnock's words on the screen here. The triune God is a missionary God. I like that. The triune God is a missionary God. The Father sends the Son, missionary Son. He sends the Spirit, missionary Spirit, into the world. His heart reaches out to embrace the world. He gives Himself up in becoming human and thus moves history toward redemption. Here is the basis of the unity of humankind and the salvation of the world. The triune God is a missionary God. How else are we going to explain His undying love? And by the way, His undying death. How else else shall we explain it? This God who cannot gaze upon such utter heartache without hurrying to the side of the sufferer. He cannot not go. He has to go. Broken hearts always are an attraction to Him. When you live with your broken heart, He's with you 24-7. A love so profound, He lives, He dies with a love so profound that the earth actually quakes when He dies. That's Matthew's exclusive right here. Read verse 50 again. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Supernatural event. You would to start it from the bottom if it had been human. Somebody starts it way too hard for any human to reach from top to bottom. But that's not the exclusive. Mark includes that. Here comes the exclusive now. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth quaked, and the rocks were split. Verse 54, so when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake, Greek word seismos, from whence comes our word seismic, when they saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly. The NIV reads, they were terrified, and they cried out, truly, this was the Son of God. Only Matthew's account, the earthquake you know what? You read Desire of Ages because Ali, he writes is right there. But you read Desire of Ages and it's as if the account is based on the home, the, the home videos that were taken right after the, the, that massive 9.0 magnitude earthquake in Japan. And you've seen all the videos of everything shaking. Listen to this. I've never noticed this before. Desire of Ages. Never before had the earth witnessed such a scene. The multitude stood paralyzed with bated breath, gazing upon the Savior, and darkness again settled upon the earth, and a hoarse rumbling. You can hear that rumbling, can't you? Spring thunderstorm in Michigan, and a hoarse rumbling like heavy thunder was heard. There was a violent earthquake, and the people were shaken together in heaps. I have read that line over and over again through the years. I've never been able to figure out how would you get shape, shaken together in heaps. You're just standing there. Until the footage started coming, coming out of Japan, and with that massive 9.0 magnitude trembler. The reports were we couldn't even stand up straight. We had to crouch on the ground, get into a fetal position. Heaps of people. That's exactly what happened at Calvary. Heaps of people trembling with the ground shaking. The wildest confusion and consternation ensued. In the surrounding mountains, rocks were rent asunder and went crashing down into the plains. Creation seemed to be shivering to atoms, priests, rulers, soldiers, executioners, and people mute with terror, lay prostrate upon the ground, end quote. Earthquake. A divine love for this lost human race, so deep the earth itself shook to its core. 9.0 magnitude? No. Infinity point zero magnitude. Herein is love Not that we first loved Him, but that He first loved us. For the Father demonstrates His own love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died of a broken heart so that we might live with one. A heart broken for others, for the lost. That's how He died, so that we might live the same way. A heart that hurries to the side of the suffering and the loss wherever they live so that we might live the same way. He died of a broken heart so that we might live with one. God's seismic love for our broken world so that we too might live with a broken heart. He dies with a broken heart. Let me end with perhaps the most touching story to emerge out of this disaster, for me at least. It's carried in the New York Times this week. I'm going to read it to you. It's Dateline, Kesanuma, Japan. I'll show you a picture in just a moment. Listen to this. Schools here begin class in April and hold graduation uh, ceremonies in March. It's true. School ends in March. The new year begins in April. Schools here begin with class in April. Graduation sem- ceremonies, like spring, they represent renewal and rebirth. On Tuesday morning, okay, that's this week, in a school meeting hall in the tsunami-ravaged seaport, it became something else, an act of defiance. Now listen to this. Gathering in the shadow of this seaport tsunami disaster zone, two solemn, often tearful crowds met to award diplomas to the 6th and ninth grade classes the Hashikami Elementary, and junior high schools. Inside the junior high auditorium, hundreds of refugees from the March 11 tsunami rolled up their blankets and moved to the rear to make room for a ritual that any parent would instantly recognize. The strains of Pacabell's cannon, the students marched to the podium, the singing of school songs, the snapping of cell phone photos. But no one should be fooled. The ceremonies, important rites of passage here, were supposed to take place last week. Instead, an earthquake cracked open the elementary school and a wall of water swept away homes and families of teachers and students alike. Although no Hashikami elementary schools were killed, the body of a ninth grader was identified over the weekend and two others remain missing. For parents and teachers holding the graduation celebrations under those circumstances and their own was an act of will, even bravery... We thought maybe it was too early for the ceremony, said Hiroko Sugawara. That's a she, the ninth grade principal. But people in the community, she said, and the PTA, they said, we want to celebrate for these kids because this is a cruel experience for a 15-year-old. The principal went on, I want the surviving kids to shine, to continue their lives. Now listen to this. Ms. Sugawara's sister and brother have been missing since the tsunami struck. And her own house was washed away. Of the two other teachers who played the leading roles in the ceremony, one lost his house and the other's parental home, was all but wiped out. Now, as the 28 ninth graders awaited their diplomas... I'm putting a picture on the screen for you now. All right? As the 28 ninth graders awaited their diplomas, Sunichi Hatakeyama sat on the front row of parents holding a photograph of his 15-year-old son, Fumiya. the youngest of three sons, a big, good-looking center fielder on the city youth baseball team. Fumiya was with his mother, Akiko, when the tsunami struck. The two fled separately to high ground. Only she made it. Now, I want you to look closely at the picture. On Tuesday, Mr. Hatakiyama wore... Fumia's blue athletic shirt and white sneakers. My son is still missing. If I don't come, nobody will take his diploma, he said. I want him to come back. My wife wants to hug him. She is totally lost. How many of the 116 million who live in the land of the rising sun, are also totally lost. How many cry out to the spirits of their ancestors in hopes that a God somewhere, somehow, might deliver them? How many know it not that the Father of this universe came down to earth and put on our white sneakers and our blue athletic shirts and stood in our place so that when the diplomas were handed out, we too would have one? we gave an altar call today for missionaries as we did the last time you and I were together, would another 283 come forward? Who's going to reach that land? How can they call on a God they have never believed in? And how can they believe in a God they have never heard of? And how can they hear if no one has ever sent to them? And how can anyone... Go to them unless she is sent. If we gave another altar call today, and this time for Japan alone, how many would come forward and say, I'll go? I called Chaplain Japheth up. I said, hey, Jay, how about Japan? Can we send anybody there? He said, yep, you have to have a degree to go. The government won't let you in undergrads without a degree, so this isn't for you. But if you have a degree, and you're not sure what's going to happen after May and graduation, and you'd like to go somewhere on earth to make a difference for God, Jay told me they are desperately in need of missionaries right now in Japan. You call Jay, Center for Youth Evangelism. He'll take care of you. If we gave an altar call today, how many would come forward? But how many thousands who perished? And I picked up on this one night when Karen was praying out loud when I heard her say, but dear God, how many of those who died never heard of Jesus? So, how many more are there in Japan? How long will they have to wait? for someone to come. He died of a broken heart so that we might live with one. Today, at the foot of the cross, at this table, I'd like to bring my great sin of living without a broken heart. I'd like to lay that sin down at the feet of my Lord and Savior. And I'd like to ask him to take away that unbroken heart and give me his broken heart for this lost world. And I'd like to invite you to do the same. Let's pray. Oh God. And so we gather at the foot of the cross. Your broken heart, seismic love for our broken world, dear God. You can't be the only one who loves. And so we come to the foot of this cross and we humbly ask that you would take our unbroken hearts and give us yours. Let the mind, let the heart of Christ be in us too. We humbly pray in his name. Amen.